0: the rocks and the trees they will not be silent for they proclaim your name as creation all in itself sings of your glory and points to it father the heavens and the stars they declare your glory and father may we sow with our hearts and with our lives lord with all that we are declare who you are and let us sing for joy and father i pray that your spirit would now just impart that type of joy to us this morning for many may come with broken hearts, many may come distracted, many come with many things on their minds, but yet, Lord, let us lay this down at your feet, Father, that we may see how beautiful you are, and Lord, how you've worked in our lives. We invite you to join us as we celebrate your presence, as we express our love to you with all of our being. We praise this in Christ's name. And God's people said, Amen. You may be it. It's good to see everyone. So take your Bibles, if you would, and turn with us to Mark. Chapter 13, as we're going to finish out the chapter. According to Slate Magazine, all over the world, scientists are experimenting on soldiers to keep them awake beyond the limits of normal endurance. Researchers are engineering and militaries are deploying chemically enhanced troops. Of all the superpowers that we've imagined, the one that has turned out to be the most attainable so attainable, we are already using it, is the ability to go without sleep. Preparation and readiness is important in time of war and peace, not just for the military, but as we're going to see this morning, but also for the Christian life. Our title this morning is Stay Awake. Not just during my message, if you would do so, that would be very kind of you. I would appreciate it, hence why we turn the air conditioner up A little bit more, and I know some of you are noticing are bringing blankets as well as pillows. That is fine, just be willing to share. Jesus has been warning his disciples that the end of the old world order is near. The temple where they worshiped and where they served God will be destroyed. It will no longer be a place to gather and worship. There will be no more sacrifices That will take place there. The object of their admiration, the temple as well as Jerusalem, that city on the hill, will be totally demolished and destroyed. The disciples in response to Jesus' prediction or prophecy and telling of that is when will that temple be destroyed? And what will be the signs that these things will be accomplished? We've been answering those questions over the last few weeks in our study in Mark 13. The temple's destruction, according to the Jewish mindset, was considered the end of the age. If the temple was going to be destroyed, that must mean, then, the end of the world. With the appearance of the Messiah, Jesus, the coming of the kingdom of God, they were proclaiming him king, must be near. They recognized that he was the Messiah, many were, and so they felt that the end must be near, especially if the Messiah said that the temple would be destroyed. In Israel, or in the Jewish teaching of future events, they taught that the, when the Messiah come, when he would return, that he would come to judge the nations, he would cleanse the land, he would purge the temples, he would gather the elect, and he would set up his eternal kingdom. The Old Testament prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Daniel, and Zechariah, all spoke of the coming judgment of Messiah. We read two of them here in our call to worship and in our scripture reading. As we saw the previous week, though, not last week, but the week before, that Jesus gives them new insight, though, to the order of things in that there would be an unexpected delay between his coming and the end of the age. When he would come in meekness to inaugurate the kingdom to his second coming in power to judge those that reject his rule and to reward those who would embrace his rule. Jesus taught that the general condition of suffering and conflict will be constant until this time. Rumors of wars, wars and famine, all sorts of things. We saw that these things would be constant and have been in every generation. He said these would be the beginnings of the birth pains. They're not, they, may be, they may be painful, they may be for a period of time, but yet it's just the beginning. It's not the time for the birth The significance of those birth pains, of the constant signs of those those, uh, birth pains, is to warn of the judgment to come to all those that have rejected Christ and His kingdom, while encouraging those that have embraced Christ's kingdom that Jesus will once again return. The next signs that Jesus gave, we saw two weeks ago, was now from the beginning of birth pains to the sharp pains of giving birth, that which was the abomination of desolation and the fall of Jerusalem. We spoke about that two weeks, and I would leave you to our website. You can get the message there. Today, Jesus continues now with the promise of a triumphal return with a command for Christians, for the elect, for his disciples to stay awake. Preparation has been the focus of this chapter. Jesus is warning them that there will be a great time of great tribulation that will come before His return to set up His kingdom on earth. And we ended last time with this warning from Jesus in Mark 13, verse 23. But be on guard. I have told you all things beforehand. And so as we go through that, let's pray. Father... I pray that you would give us wisdom and understanding as we open up your word to understand scripture, to understand how do we take events 2,000 years ago and how do we take the words of Christ and how do we bring them to our uh, relevancy to us here in this earth, to to the time here and now. Give us wisdom as your Holy Spirit works in our hearts to respond to the command to be awake. And Father, I would just pray that you would open up our minds and hearts to receive your word Lord, that we may um, follow you. Direct our hearts this morning. In your name we pray. Amen. As we look at this passage, I want to give you three encouragements that I believe. It's a tough chapter. It's really talking about death, destruction. It's talking about the ends of all things. It's saying woe to those that, who live during those times. But yet, in the midst of all of that, the reason Jesus is giving this is not just so we can draw charts or have prophecy conference, or do all this type of speculation, but that we may be encouraged, that we may be prepared. And so with that, I'd like to give you three encouragements that I find in Mark chapter 13, starting with verse 24. The first encouragement that I would give you is that we must be encouraged. For justice is coming in the form of a person. How many of you are just wondering in this world, as you open up the newspaper, and you say, where in the world is justice? You know, we, you know, we, we see our community asking, where is justice? When will justice be done? When will right rule the day? Many are asking that question. Whether you're wearing the blue of a police, of, of a police officer, or whether you're African-American, or maybe you're an immigrant who's here, or maybe you're just someone who's trying to make your way in this world and you're just seeing things just continually go downhill, you're asking, where is justice? I'm here to tell you, justice is not found in a government program. Justice will not be found in a political process. It's not going to be found in a government or any type of party. Justice is found in the coming in the form of a person. Look at Mark 13, 24. He says, but in those days after the tribulation, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will be falling from the heaven and the powers in the heaven will be what? Shaken. And then in verse 26, they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. Then he will send out his angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. There is going to be some supernatural cosmic upheaval. After seven years of the tribulation that he spoke of two weeks ago, there will follow a great supernatural upheaval. It speaks of the end times. When they're saying, when will these things be accomplished, the disciples ask Jesus. Jesus is saying, it's going to be in those days. He's now giving them more significant time markers. Those days, that phrase, those days, it means the future. It means the future end times. It's associated with the end times. The coming of the Son of Man is associated with celestial phenomena. Jesus here is using Old Testament descriptive language that always always coincides with God's judgment. Take your Bibles, if you would, and keep it there in Mark, but then go to Isaiah chapter 13. You will see this type of imagery quite often in Scripture, whether it's in Isaiah, Jeremiah, we saw it in Daniel. Verse 9, Behold, the day of the Lord comes, cruel with wrath, and fierce anger. Now Isaiah is writing this as a prophecy to Babylon and to many of the countries around Israel. And he says that day of the Lord comes cruel with wrath and fierce anger to make the land a desolation and to destroy its sinners from it. For the stars of the heavens and their constellation will not give their light. The sun will be dark as it's rising, and the moon will not shed its light. I will punish the world for its evil and the wicked for their iniquity. I will put an end to the pomp of the arrogant and lay low the pompous pride of the ruthless. And so this is descriptive language that's pointing to something very great happening. Cosmic disturbances in the Bible designate the judgment of God. It's a new world order that is coming. There now will be justice where there was not. There will be a new ruler who will be righteous. It will be earth shattering is what scripture is telling us. The New Testament also uses this same type of language in reference to God's judgment. In 2 Peter chapter 3, he says, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief and then the heavens will pass away with a roar and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done in it will be exposed. These are very strong, descriptive languages or words and phrases that give us almost a terrible imagery. Though often used figuratively in the Old Testament, many believe this will be literally fulfilled as Christ comes back. What we're actually seeing here, whether it's figuratively or literally, that the moon and the stars and these things will fall, what we're seeing, that which was once hidden is now displayed. That which was once veiled is now being revealed. The Son of Man, what we're seeing here, will return in triumph. Amen? And so justice is coming in the form of a person. That person is the Son of Man, that righteous ruler that we've been looking for. When Daniel in his vision from our scripture reading says, I saw in the night vision with clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the ancient of days and presented before him. And it says to him was given dominion and glory and kingdom that all peoples, nations, and language should serve him. And his dominion is everlasting many and it shall not pass away and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. So let me tell you, what Christ has given us is be encouraged. Justice will come in the form of a person, this son of man. Jesus is that son of man. Time does not give me the opportunity to share with you many times in Scripture where Jesus referred to himself as the son of man. We've seen that through the Gospel of Mark. It's Jesus is the son of God, the son of man. It's a designation that says that he is that Messiah. So he's saying, do not despair. Justice is coming. He will come and take care of the poor. He will judge those who have done evil. We may not see it here in this earth. We may despair of that. And it's not about us trying and missing and trying and missing, but recognize that one day true justice will come, be encouraged. You see, the end brings the unveiling of the Son of Man. He will come bringing judgment and reward. He will judge those who have rejected him and reward those who have embraced him. He will display great power and glory, and he will gather his children together. This involvement of the angels, it probably indicates that when Jesus returns, he will not only gather in himself all believers alive on earth, but also will bring those with him that all those who are redeemed, who have passed away and are now in heaven. So he tells us to be encouraged for justice is coming in the form of a person. After the tribulation, the sun will be dark and the moon will not give light and the Son of Man will come. Justice will come. The sad encouragement I would find is that in verse 28 where he says be encouraged for God's promises are sure. Be encouraged God's promises are sure. Let's look at verse 28 there. He says, from the fig tree, learn its lesson. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts out its leaf, you know that summer is near. So also when you see these things taking place, you know that he is near at the very gates. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Verse 31, key verse. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Jesus is simply here giving a lesson from nature. And I encourage you to be careful. Many times people can take these verses and and, and run with them in so many different ways. But in essence here in Mark, as we're looking specifically at Mark, he's giving a lesson from nature. Fig leaves, when it comes to the tree, appear about the same time as the fruit or a little after. In other words, if you look at a regular fruit tree, you usually get the leaves and then the fruit appears later. But in the fig tree, it's opposite. We've talked about this before. The leaves do not appear until the figs actually appear. The fruit comes before or very close. Then you know it's in season. The fruit comes before the leaves. So really what he's saying here, so when you see the tree coming alive with buds, it signifies that fruit, leaves, and summer is on its way. It's how you can tell the times and the seasons. In the same way, what Jesus is saying here is that the birth pains and the abomination of desolation Whatever that may be, as he says, let the reader understand, it signifies that Christ's coming is near. In other words, he says, as you see the consistency of warfare and all the persecutions, when you see the abomination of desolation, when you see the destruction, know that that time is near. The phrase, this generation will not pass away in verse 30, has been interpreted many different ways. Some have said it means Christ would come before all the disciples have died away. But you and I know that's not true, for we are still here. The Disciples, they all themselves had died a martyred death, except for one. Some believe the passage is only about the destruction of Jerusalem. But as we know in Scripture here, as we can see uh, um, prophecy fulfilling, is that there is some things in which Mark is talking about the specific destruction of Jerusalem, we can see that it talks about something even greater. As we talked about last year, that prophecy has that mountain peak, which another mountain peak behind it, and another one, and so on. Some have said generation means race, indicating that Jesus is promising that the Jewish race would not disappear, but remain a nation and a people. And yet we see that miracle that Israel is once again a nation. That is a miracle. Some believe it means only those that are alive when the events Happen and begin, and that seems grammatically to what he's saying here. But this view, and this is my opinion, I would want to differentiate between, I believe what scripture is sure and what my opinion is. I believe what's correct is that the birth pains would begin soon after Christ's ascension into heaven. The close of the age began and is increasing with intensity. You and I are now living in those days. We are living at the end of the age, but it will reach its apex, its height, with the great tribulation that's to come. And these things are signifiers, times for us. He's answering the disciples' questions, when will these things be accomplished? He says, this generation will see this. However, no matter how long it may take, we must understand that God's promises are secure. The church of Thessalonica, they were worried that Christ had already came, and Paul writes to encourage them, no, it's not so. For you and I, we are now 2,000 years past that, and we may despair, and Scripture says, and do not despair of that. And we may wonder, when is justice coming? When is Christ coming? When is He going to come to judge the wicked and reward the faithful? Is God's Word true? D.A. Carson, a theologian, writes that in verse 31, it indicates that the authority and the eternal validity of Jesus' words are nothing less than the authority and eternal validity of God's words. In others, when Jesus says, heaven and earth may pass away, but my words will not pass away, speaking here specifically of what Jesus is saying here in Mark, he says that it is secure. So we're to be encouraged. God's promises are sure. You need to trust in the promise of God. We are not abandoned here on this earth. We're not left behind, so to speak. He will return. And now, some of you are facing a life and living a life in which it's down. Just getting up takes all the energy that you have. To just live your life and to go in through day in and day out, you're tired, you're wearied, and you're crying out, God, have you forsaken me? God, where are you? Let me tell you, be encouraged. Don't be despondent, don't despair. God loves you. And He's calling, be awake. I am returning. Justice is near. The faithful will be rewarded. So be encouraged. And I want to just exhort you as church members, that's what we're to do in that day. That's why he says, do not forsake the assembling of yourselves, but be meeting together, encouraging one another, lifting one another up as we see that day approaching. So let me ask you, as we just build on what we shared When we talked about we're to be reaching and and being transparent and and lifting and encouraging each other up, for there are people here that have their mask on, looking good and happy, but yet they're dying on the inside. Maybe that's all left is just just a shadow of themselves. They need to be encouraged. And some of you are strong, and some of you could be that encourager while others... Just say, just can you carry me for a while? Can you help me for a bit? Psalms 119. The psalmist writes, Forever, O Lord, your word is firmly fixed in the heavens. Your faithfulness endures to all generations. You have established the earth and it stands fast. Isaiah the prophet wrote, The grass withers, the flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people Our grass. Do you not feel like grass sometimes? You're just burning up in the heat of life and any wind just blows you. It says the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of the God will stand forever. Stand, find strength in the promise of God. Could you do that? Would you dedicate, commit yourself to God's word? Be encouraged for God's word is there. Be encouraged justice takes the form of a person of Jesus Christ. And thirdly, the third encouragement is be encouraged for Christ's return is imminent. Imminent is a big word that means that there's nothing left to happen. It's ready at any time. He tells us in verse 32, he says, But concerning that day or that hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, Nor the son, speaking of Jesus himself, but only the father. Be on guard, keep awake, for you do not know when the time will come. Verse 34, it is like a man going on a journey when he leaves home and he puts his servants in charge, each with his work and commands the doorkeep to stay awake. Again, he's given an illustration from normal life. Verse 35, therefore stay awake, for you do not know when the master of the house will come in the evening or at the midnight or when the rooster crows or in the morning lest He come suddenly and find you asleep, unprepared. Verse 37, And when I say to you, I say to you all, stay awake. Now, verse 32 can be difficult because it seems to deny Christ's divinity. I remember as a young person wanting to ask that question, how come Jesus doesn't know when He's returning? That seems to kind of go against His divinity. But instead it points to His humanity. For you and I must remember that there were times when Christ, while he was on earth, in the incarnation, he limited his knowledge and power. We see that in Luke chapter 2. As an infant, as he's growing, it says, and the child, speaking of Jesus, grew and became strong, and he was filled with wisdom. Jesus didn't come knowing his ABCs and his 1, two threes. He had to learn them just as you and I did. Jesus speaking at this time is speaking of the limit of his knowledge, his self-limited knowledge. There's no use in you and I trying to figure out, for that's not the point of what he's saying. The unexpected delay of Jesus' first coming, to come as the Messiah, and then his coming in justice, there is the delay, the unexpected delay. It's not for you and I to try and figure that time out. Many have tried and failed. The Jehovah's Witnesses gave several, I think three, a total of three, from the 1800s to the 1900s. I remember, I don't know if many of you are old enough to remember, but in 1988, a NASA rocket scientist came up with a pamphlet, 88 Reasons Why Jesus Will Come in 1988. Any of you remember that little booklet? Well, he was wrong, so he wrote a sequel said, 89 Reasons Why Jesus Will Come in 1989. I think he gave up after that. If the first sequel wasn't as good, you might as well stop. Or Harold Camping, many of you might remember this. In 2011, he said, Jesus was come on May 21st. Well, Harold Camping is never long with this. He passed away several years ago. But the church is still here. We can spend all of our time parsing through Scripture, trying to find when Jesus is going to come, when the Son of Man is going to come. But he calls us not to do so. And I have to ask the question, why does God not make known Christ's return? Would it not have been easier and more encouraging to the church if he was said, "Listen, I am going to come on July what's the date, twenty fourth, two thousand and sixteen, at let's say eight thirty five, so we can get our softball game in tonight, or maybe not, maybe better <laughs> come." And by the way, for those of you who like comedy, we do have our softball schedule on the back table. We'd love to have you come watch and just get to join us. And plus, some of us sometimes need ride home after we can't drive home. But beyond all that, where am I at? If I asked myself, why didn't he just tell us? Why didn't he give him that day? Wouldn't it be better? Because then we wouldn't be wasting our time. We wouldn't be all, you know, anxiety and things like that. I mean, we don't want to think of ourselves being at home just wondering, oh, is he coming today or not? Uh, you know, being all anxi- uh, and, you know, filled with anxiety and so forth. But I believe most likely it would be more of a hindrance than a help to our spiritual growth and the command to stay on guard and be awake. For if you and I knew exactly when Jesus would come, we would not be on our guard. We would be slack and distracted. We would live our lives like I can do it in the future. We are great procrastinators. We're spiritual procrastinators when it comes to Christ. Oh, I'll take care of it then. I'll take care of it then. But he's called us to be prepared at all times. And that's why I use this example of a master who says, listen, I got to go away. Take care of my house. I'm not sure when I'm going to return. What are those servants going to be doing? You think they're going to be just laying around and swimming in this pool and taking it easy? No, they're going to keep the place ship-shaped. They're going to keep it uh, clean. They're ready for him to return at any moment. That's what Christ has called us to do as well. In verse 35, you might have caught the phrase, the morning, the evening. That Mark uses here, roaming designations for the guard watches when they would change guards. Evening, morning, rooster crow, like soldiers whose lives were at stake, they had to be aware, for they knew not when the enemy would come. It's not to say that you and I are not to sleep, we're not to be restful, or to be involved in life, or have entertainment. It's not that we're not to go about our lives, and just sit there, standing awake, Jesus coming, Jesus coming. You know, a little tinfoil on our hats, and just sitting on mountaintops, jumping up in the air to get a head start. It's not what he's called us to do. He's called us to be prepared, knowing that in all of our doing, whether it's work, whether it's our life, whether it's entertainment, that in all of our doing, we're to be prepared. Let me ask you, are there some things that you were doing this week, watching, listening, involved in, that you would say, boy, I hope Jesus doesn't come right now? I remember my brother, I don't know why I'm sharing this, but... I remember we were teaching this type of thing in our class. We went to a Christian school. And my brother, Steve, he could just say some things sometimes that would just blow your mind. So we were young. I think second, third grade. And he liked this girl named Dawn Fisher. And uh, he raised his hand and he, she goes, what do, you, what do you want, Steve? And he goes, well, does that mean if I'm kissing Dawn Fisher that I'm just going to go straight up through the ceiling there? That was just a side note there. But... Uh, <laughs> I don't know why. Little things like that stay with your mind. We need to be prepared. Christ coming come in any moment. What this passage gives us, and this is what's important, I want you to really think of this. Because in this encouragement, he's giving us something important for you and I. This is not just something that we look back on. This is something that should involve our lives today. This passage gives us the precept, that principle and that purpose our person model that I've shared with you many, many times. It's not something that I came up with. It's something that Josh McDowell was very influential in sharing. In other words, where God gives a precept, a command, thou shall and thou shall not. You you see all those in the Bible, right? Well, just as a parent, if you tell your children to do something, they're going to say or ask, why? Well, God doesn't leave us to answer why. He gives us the principle, the why you need to do this. And that why always points to the, the person of Christ. It exhibits, displays a characteristic or, or something that he wants to reveal to himself. Just as, as a parent, when I tell my children, don't do this or do this, and they say, why? And I say, because of this, it shows something about me. And I always, uh, side note, this is extra. You don't have to pay for this. But as a parent, I would sh- as a youth pastor, I used to share to parents, is be careful what your precepts, your commands are. Because they'll say more about you personally than more about your control over your children. And that's so important. But in here we see in this passage that precept, that principle, that person. The precept is the command is to stay awake. God is saying in this passage, Christians, disciples, stay awake, be on guard. The principle, the why we're to stay awake is because that Christ can return at any time and he wants us to be prepared. And he wants us to be prepared because he's saying something about himself because he shows patience and mercy. And you say, how does he show his patience and mercy? Because he doesn't come right now. He didn't come uh, 2,000 years ago. And what we're seeing in this unexpected delay of Christ's return is Christ's Patience and His mercy. Turn to 2 Peter if you would and we'll see this very clearly as Peter expounds on who Jesus is and on the character of God. And I encourage you when you look at Scripture look for that precept.